Thank you, Jordan, for reading our scripture tonight. We appreciate your presence. We're glad for the opportunity to be together tonight. We hope and pray that you will benefit from our worship together. If you're visiting, as always, we appreciate so much you coming our way. We encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking tonight at Romans chapter 8, verse 22, where the Apostle Paul said that the whole creation groans in travail and pain until now. The topic that we'll be discussing is the value of human suffering. It might be the case that, you're, that you as an individual are suffering today. And you might well ask the question, what's the value in suffering? And so we're going to be talking about that in a moment or two. I do want to make uh, one statement. I was talking to some visitors this morning and I told them, I'm not sure if they're here tonight or not, but I told them that we have a youth devotional tonight and I was in error on that. It's next week. And so sometimes I have, sometimes I have a problem not listening to all the announcements. And so I, you may not have that problem, but I do. I have the attention span of, uh, I guess, a gnat at times. And so, anyway, but uh, I appreciate Jared and Anna and all the great work that they do with our young folks. They do a tremendous job, and we've got a great group of young people. And we appreciate them and the contributions that they make. And I'm very, I'm very grateful personally at the example that they set before the church because I think they set a great example by their presence, by the way they carry themselves. And those of us that are older, we could learn a lot from them. And there are some folks here, I know some of you here tonight, you appreciate them. And so I would encourage you, let them know how much you appreciate them, encourage them, because one day they, they will be the guardians of not just the church, but our country. Tonight, as we think about the theme, the value of human suffering, I want to begin by talking about the cause of human suffering. And by way of reminder, I want to just point out that when we think about human suffering and the problems that occur as a result of suffering, in other words, the byproducts, I want to suggest that when we think about the cause or the inception of suffering, it really is a reminder of the harshness of sin. Because when you think about the inception, the origination of human suffering, it all takes us back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 4, we have an occasion where the Lord said to Cain, and Cain, as you well know, took the life of his righteous brother, Abel. And God said to him in the long ago that sin lies at the door. In Genesis chapter 3, when God placed the first couple in the Garden of Eden, and you can read chapter 2, where God had instructed them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Because God endowed those of us that belong to the human family with the ability to make choices, 
God in his infinite wisdom knew that sin and suffering were lying at the door. All it would take would be for the first couple to open the door and thereby let down the floodgate. And that's exactly what happened. And so when we talk about human suffering and all of the variables that make up the suffering that we experience in this life, it all goes back to one source. That's the Garden of Eden and the sin of Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, man died spiritually. In other words, Adam and Eve were separated from God because of sin. But they also died, began to die physically. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 that through one man, sin entered into the world. And death by sin. And death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And so today, every time we go to the cemetery, we are reminded of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And of course, Satan was behind the temptation of Eve and Adam as well. They both partook of that forbidden tree. As a result of that, grave problems arose on planet Earth. And let me just also say this, that over in Genesis chapter 6, when God decreed that he would destroy the world by means of a flood, that created tremendous changes on this globe that we call planet Earth. And so we are reaping the byproducts of that as well. Now as we think about the immensity of suffering, in Genesis chapter 3, there are a series of statements made by God in which he sets forth at least four very specific curses. First, in verse 14, there is a curse on the animal kingdom. God said in verse 14, because that is to the serpent, you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. In verse 17, there is a curse on the vegetable kingdom. Listen to him. God said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of of your life. And then in verse 18, there is a curse on the plant kingdom. He said, Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And then finally, there was a curse on the human kingdom, that is, on mankind. Look if you would. Well, in verse 15, God sets forth the promised seed. The promised seed would be the one. Really, the promised seed pointed to the coming of the Messiah and the one through whom man would be redeemed. And God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. But note if you would, note if you would in verse 16, God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow 
and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then, of course, Adam would till the, the ground by the sweat of his brow. And then drop down a note, if you would, in verse 22. In verse 22, God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim, that is, angelic beings, at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way. Well, why was that? To guard the way to the tree of life. So man prohibited from entering the garden, prohibited from coming in contact with the tree of life. But I want you to think with me for a moment or two about some of the challenges of human suffering. And really, just by way of reminder, I wanted to point out the causes of suffering once again to emphasize or even to re-emphasize. I want to begin by saying that there are numerous values to human suffering. There are some byproducts that, that we can receive. Many, many years ago, I remember reading a story about a man that talked about losing his six-year-old daughter in a house fire. His daughter died tragically about the time she was to begin school, in September, I think, of that particular year. And he said at the close of the year, he sat down and began to go through some of the lessons that he had learned as a result of that tragic loss. Now sometimes when we experience loss, and particularly when we experience human loss like that, it's not often to see people become bitter and angry, shake their fist in the face of God, ask the question why, rather than stepping back and trying to approach it from a different venue. And to simply ask the question, what can I learn? Are there things that I can learn from my experiences? We can learn, and every experience provides us with a learning opportunity. Sadly, sometimes we fail to avail ourselves of the opportunities of learning. I want to begin by saying that, first of all, human suffering can serve as a deterrent to sin. Think about that for a minute. Human suffering can serve as a deterrent to sin. There is a great passage of Scripture found in Psalm 119. In verse 67, the psalmist said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Turn to the book of 2 Chronicles for a moment. And look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 33. In chapter 33, 
we have the account of Manasseh. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the great kings in the history of Israel. As a matter of fact, he was one of the better kings. Manasseh, however, turned out quite differently. Manasseh was evil, and he exercised tremendous influence over the children of Israel in a negative way. And so, look at verse 10. In verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. Now note, but they would not listen. Sometimes people become haughty and arrogant. They think they know everything and they think that because everything is running well in their lives that there's just no way that they can ever be brought down. Well, Manasseh was king. Manasseh thought he was something, but I want you to listen to what he said in verse 11. Therefore, God spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they wouldn't listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks. In other words, he put nose rings put nose rings in his nose or put a hook in his nose and led him to Babylon. The text says not only did he not only did he take Manasseh with hooks, but he bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. Now look at verse 12. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Here's a great example of somebody that was living an ungodly life, living as he pleased, wouldn't listen to God, and then he became afflicted. And what happened? God got his attention, didn't he? And so the Bible says, he implored the Lord his God, he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, he prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I use this example to say that sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we turn to God. Sometimes it takes various forms of afflictions or suffering to get our attention. A New Testament example would be the prodigal son, Luke 15. You remember the prodigal son asked for his inheritance early. His father granted him that wish. He gathered everything together, went out into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And then the Bible says a great famine occurred in the land and he began to be in want. And so he's out here grazing with the swine, with the pigs. And guess what happened? That light went off. Verse 17, Jesus in his narration of that story said that the prodigal son came to himself. And he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish here with hunger? This will I do. I will arise and go to my father and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. Sometimes suffering can be a deterrent 
to living in sin. There's a second byproduct of human suffering, and that is it can aid us in developing spiritually. Think about this. Suffering can do one of two things. It can help us or hinder us in the faith. It can build our faith or break our faith. The choice is ours, isn't it? For every action, there's a corresponding reaction. When we're faced with suffering, how do we react? Do we become angry and cynical and bitter? Do we throw away our faith? Or do we say, you know what, I can learn from that. I'm not saying that we relish every time we suffer. I'm not saying that we jump up and down and say, man, I sure am glad I'm hurting today. I don't know anybody that thinks like that. But I do believe that when we are faced with certain physical and emotional maladies, when we're under duress, that we can learn. And there are some valuable lessons that we can glean from that. You remember in James chapter 1, James said, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials or various trials. Does that not seem odd to you? That James would say, look, you need to be joyful when you face the trials of life. Are you there yet? Can you say that you're joyful every time you face a trial in life? I'm not there. I'm not sure I'll ever get there. But I know this, that there is a, an intent, there is a lesson to be learned from the trials that I experience as well as the trials that you experience in this life. Now, James said that one of the byproducts is patience. He said, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, that tribulation worketh or leads to patience. So there are some benefits. But I want to, I want to specifically call to mind two lessons that we can learn that will aid us in developing, spiritually speaking. First, I think it clarifies our position in life. When we're faced with human suffering, it helps us to clarify our position in life. Now, you may ask the question, what do you mean? I mean, it helps us to understand the transitory nature of life. When Billy called me last night about 9 o'clock, and said that Zach Walker's twin brother had been killed earlier in the day. Billy made the statement, you just never know. That's how quickly life can change. You just don't know. So one of the benefits, and sometimes we talk about the silver lining in the problems that we encounter in life. Well, one thing that it does, it puts into perspective life, doesn't it? It helps to crystallize the brevity of life. Do you remember in Psalm 90? The psalmist talked about the days of our years are three score and ten. He said we might live four score years. In other words, we might live to be 70. We might live to be 80. But he said they're accompanied with strength, sorrow, and labor. And he said, we're soon cut off. It's soon cut off and we fly away. All he's saying is that life 
is brief. Sometimes human suffering puts into perspective the brevity of human life. We realize, look, we're here today and we are gone tomorrow. When we lose loved ones, particularly those who are young, it reminds us of that fact. And so it clarifies our position in life. And, and by the way, in verse 12 of Psalm 90, the psalmist said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. It also clarifies our purpose in life. How many people on planet Earth do you think really and truly understand their purpose in life? What's our purpose? What are we here for? Why are we here? What's life all about? That question has been batted around for centuries. Many, many people, many philosophers have asked that question. What are we doing here? Is there a purpose behind my existence? There is. Do you remember Solomon, the wise man? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 13, when he talked about life and all the experiences of life and the temporal things that come and go, in chapter 12 he said, okay, hear the conclusion of the whole matter. In other words, this is what life's all about. Well, what is life all about? Fear God. Keep His commandments. He said, for this is man's all. That's what life's about. Isaiah talked about how we exist to bring glory to God, don't we? In the New Testament, Jesus said that we are to engage in good works for the purpose of bringing the Father glory. And so, human suffering can, number one, clarify our position in life and also our purpose in life. There's another thing that I want you to see, and that is human suffering can deepen our ability to empathize and sympathize. Some of you have battled disease, cancer, and other types of illnesses. Some of you have lost family members. You've lost a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a son or daughter. And so you have the ability to empathize with someone who is faced with the same thing. Now we can sympathize with people, but when you have, when you have experienced certain things like cancer or other types of disease, and then somebody else says, I have cancer or I have this specific disease, then you have the ability to empathize with them. And you can say, I've been there. I know what you're going through. There are some things that I have not experienced. I can't tell some people, I know how you feel. Because I don't in every circumstance. But there are some of you that know exactly what I'm talking about. I want you to look with me at a passage of Scripture, and I would encourage you to underline these verses. Note, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
what the Apostle Paul says to the saints in Corinth. And there are a couple of things that he points out. Number one, he says that we can turn to God for comfort. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, now listen to him, the God of all comfort. God is a God of comfort. That means that when I am heartbroken, when I am weighed down by the things of this life, when I am hurting, when tears are streaming down my face, God in heaven is there to comfort. So, first and foremost, to recognize that God is the God of all comfort. But then I want you to look at verse 4. Paul said, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Again, God is the one who comforts us. But then note what we can do for others. That we may be able to comfort others or comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Do you see the chain there? Paul is saying that when we experience situations in life where we're hurting and suffering and we are broken to the point of breaking, that we can turn to God and He is the God of all comfort and He will comfort us. Note if you would what he says he will comfort us in all, A-L-L, -L, in all our tribulation. And then in turn, what can we do? We can empathize and sympathize with others. So listen again to what he says. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. One of the great things about being a member of the church is knowing that we're in this thing together. We're not alone. To know that we have allies and by, by the term allies I mean we have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we stand together and we fall together but we are a family. And so when Paul wrote to the saints of Galatia, he said, bear one another's burdens. That is, each and every one of you Christians, you reach out and bear the burdens of one another. And he said, in so doing, what, what occurs? He said, you fulfill the law of Christ. Think about Jesus. When Jesus was here upon this earth, did he not provide comfort to people? Wasn't he there for people? It's true, he alleviated the problems of sin in the lives of people. He also alleviated the suffering and the heartache and the trauma that some people experienced. And so, to think that as the people of God, we can in turn do that for one another. It's a tremendous blessing. To know that we can be a blessing for others. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to rejoice with them that rejoice. But he said the flip side of that is we are to weep with those who weep. That means when you're happy, I can be happy with you. When you're hurting and suffering, I can be there with you. And I can hurt and I can suffer with you, can I? So, 
It deepens our ability to empathize and sympathize. And by the way, when the Apostle Paul wrote the church at Corinth, did he know something about suffering? I think he did. Did he know something about God being a God of comfort, a Father of mercy? He did. And don't you think the Apostle Paul was able to comfort others with the very same comfort that he had been comforted by God? There's a fourth thing I want you to see very quickly, and that is it will aid us in deepening our dependence on the Savior. Since we're in 2 Corinthians, just turn over, if you would, to chapter 12. While you're turning there, I think about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 18 and about verse 6. He said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. When you face distress and difficulty and trial and tribulation, when you are in the throes of human suffering, to whom do you turn? Let me tell you who the psalmist turned to. The psalmist turned to God. The psalmist in Psalm 46 could say, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so in light of that, he could say, therefore, we will not fear. You see, when God's on your side, you have the greatest of allies. In 2 Corinthians chapter, well, first look at chapter 11. In verse 11, Paul identifies some of the difficulties that he faced in life. He said that he had been in labors more abundant. In verse 23, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, 195 stripes laid upon his back. He said, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been in the deep. That'd be enough to do a lot of folks in. But he said in verse 26, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He said, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul suffered physically and emotionally. As we would say, he was spent. In chapter 12, in verse 7, he talked about the abundance of revelations that he had received. And he said, lest I be exalted above measure, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Well, why was that? He said, to buffet him, lest I be exalted above measure. And he said, concerning this thing, I pleaded three times with the Lord that it might depart from me. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Now listen to what he says. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is saying that one of the things that he learned from this thorn in the flesh, he learned to put his dependence in the Lord. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul wrote his very last inspired letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Do you remember when he said, At my first defense, no one stood with me. He said, All men forsook me. I pray God it won't be laid to their charge. Then here's what he said. But the Lord stood with me. And he said, the Lord not only stood with me, but the Lord strengthened me. Paul learned to depend more heavily upon God. And so, when we face human suffering, there are lessons to be learned. Lessons that are not sometimes easy to learn, but they're there for us. And so my prayer would be that when we face the difficulties and the trials of life, that we learn from those things and that we turn them from a negative to a positive and try to the best of our ability to see, as has been said so many times, that silver lining. There's a lesson to be learned. The question is, will we learn it? It might be the case that you're here tonight. And maybe as a child of God, you're suffering. We want you to know that we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Last Sunday night at the conclusion of the services, Brother Yader came up to me and he said, I should have come forward tonight because I needed the prayers of the church. And here's what Brother Yader said that stood out in my mind. He said, where I am right now, prayer is all I have. Think about that. You don't have to bear the load of life on your own. You don't have to go home tonight and shoulder this thing on your own because as members of the body of Christ, we're here to pray with you and to pray for you. James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. All he's saying is there, there's power in prayer. Now, it might be that you're here tonight and you're a child of God, and for whatever reason, maybe like the prodigal son, you lost your way. And maybe you, like the prodigal son, have now hit rock bottom, and you want to come home. I want you to know that God will take you back. Not only will he take you back, he wants you back. All you have to do is make that step to come home. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And maybe you're suffering. It might be that you're hurting. And you know the Lord's not a part of your life. Why not become one of his children tonight? Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. That is the forgiveness of your sins. And God will add you to the church. Acts 2 verse 38 verse 47. And the assurance is that if you are faithful, God will one day own you and crown you in heaven. So why not come as we stand and sing?